So y'all remember when Jesus got so upset with the money changers, what did he do? Turned the tables upside down. But did you also know that Jesus threw eggs at people? Yep, in Matthew 11, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Yes. Nothing like starting off a message with a fantastic dad joke. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. We've got two more weeks of the promises of God. Have you enjoyed this series so far? It's so important that we have this series to discover and learn the promises of God because if you know the promises of God and you stand upon them, you won't fall for the lies of the enemy. So we've got to know the promises of God. We've got to know the word of God, be in the presence of God, understand the character of God because it becomes the firm foundation for our lives, for our marriages, our families, and our church. Amen? So one thing that we learn about Jesus is Jesus was always in control, right? When you think about Jesus as you read through the Gospels, do you ever remember him freaking out? Do you remember him having a panic attack or being full of anxiety? No. But Jesus, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. So he was tried and tempted in the same ways as you and me. And I want us to look at an example from Jesus' life. This is just like a slice in the day of Jesus. And let's observe how he handled interruptions. By the way, how many of y'all enjoy interruptions in your day? Anybody, raise your hand if you just like interruptions. I don't see many hands. And there's a reason for that. We think of interruptions as annoying, right? But let's just observe how Jesus responded to interruptions. Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21, it said, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will leave. How did Jesus respond? In verse 24, it says that Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When, Jesus, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. So imagine being Jesus. Imagine that you got somewhere to go. We've all traveled. We've either traveled on the road or been on an airplane or maybe commuted to work. You had purpose of where you were going. And so Jesus is in his vehicle, his boat. And he gets to the other side of the lake. He had, he had purpose, right? And as he gets off the boat, what happens? A guy named Jairus who had an emergency, who was desperate to see his, his child healed, said, Jesus, will you just come with me? And, and did Jesus get upset with the interruption? No, Jesus went with him. And on the, on the way to this man's house, there was another emergency, right? Like another hijacking interruption. A woman who had been sick for a long time grabs a hold of Jesus' clothes 
And Jesus takes a moment. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't correct her. He didn't get upset and say, I've already committed somewhere else to go. But he was available. And he healed this woman and forgave her of her sins. And so we see that Jesus, he was able to do this is because he had margin in his life. He had time in his life. And I wonder how many of us get so annoyed at interruptions simply because we don't have enough margin in our day. We're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit. What if some of the interruptions in your day were meant to be divine appointments? God wanted to use you to help people in need, but you were so busy, self-focused, overwhelmed, stressed out, feeling the pressure, you just don't have the time to give anybody else. And my concern is that that represents a lot of us, unfortunately. And, and I'm saddened by that. So I'm going to get a little personal today. Is that all right? Because I love you guys. And I want to see you have more time. I want to see you more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I want to see your relationship with Jesus healthy and your relationship with your spouse. Like you don't let go of that first love. I want to see you present with your kids and your grandkids. And that can't happen if you're too busy. And I look at some of you and I see you on Sundays and you look stressed out and you look really weary. And I know, I know some of you are like, John, you're living in fantasy land. You don't have little kids running around anymore. Fair, I don't. But I think no matter what stage of life we're in, no matter what season we're in, busy seasons, not so busy seasons, we can improve and we can look at the life of Jesus and we can obey what he says so that we can be healthy. Amen? We can grow to become devoted followers of Jesus, and I want to help you to be able to do that. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. And as you turn there, I want you to take out your notes or maybe on your phone, and I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, and I want you to be honest, all right? This is being uh, aware that maybe we're just too busy or we're too stressed out, and some of us are just not honest or we're pretending that we're not, and the reality, are, reality is that we are. And so I just want you to answer yes or no. You can just write a yes or a Y or an N for any of these questions, all right? First, do you feel stressed out? Do you feel like there's just more pressure than usual? You just feel that pressure. Do you feel like you're constantly in a hurry? Do people around you assume that you're too busy? Do you feel exhausted all the time? Do you feel tired all the time? Do you get sick easily or do you not bounce back from an illness like you used to? How do you sleep at night? Is it hard to fall asleep? Or when you wake up in the middle of the night or early in the morning, is it hard to go back to sleep? Are you restless? Here's an important one that maybe someone sitting next to you needs to answer. Do you get irritated easily? Do you get annoyed easily? Are you not as patient as you should be? Do you get short? Is the tone of your voice, is it sharp? Have you lost your passion or desire for physical activity or things that interest you or hobbies that you once had that you just don't feel like you have time for? Do you feel disconnected? Feel anxious 
feel like you're trying to catch up? That's a lot of questions, right? If you answered yes to over five of these questions, I'm concerned for you. You are on a path that is very dangerous. And if you continue to ignore the red flags, then you are going to erode or destroy your soul, your spiritual life, your emotional life, your physical life. Your soul is much too busy. And then it's not just affecting you. You're going to affect your already what they're probably feeling like, a neglected family. And so it's costing you more than just you. It's costing other people around you. I was once a workaholic. I was a youth pastor over 20 years ago. And it was a wonderful church. But I said yes to every opportunity that was given to me. I never said no. And so as a result, after about seven years of serving at that church, I found myself busy doing ministry six and most of the time seven nights of the week. My quiet times, my, my devotional life with the Lord was rushed in the morning. I'd read for a few minutes and then, then get to work. And, and it was easy to justify it because it was like I'm doing it in the name of ministry. It's all for the glory for God. But it became an excuse. And I never said no. And it was costing me my soul and it was costing me my marriage. And the reality check for me was when I came home one night. She said, you're never here. Stephanie packed up her bags and she said, I'm moving back home to Houston. And it was the reality check that I needed. But during that time of correction and repentance, I discovered the promise of God that changed my life. And this promise of God helped me change my schedule. It helped me change my outlook on time. And when we started the church, I asked her, I said, if you would be willing to give me another chance, I promise to be home five nights of the week. And she said yes, and with integrity, I can say in the last 15 years, not only me, but our entire church staff, they know it's expected for them to be home five nights a week. And I, and I hope and pray that it would be true for all of us in our church family. Because we're only going to have a home sweet home as a church, and your home is only going to be sweet if you're present. And so I want us to look at the promise of Jesus. He had just experienced... Uh, a death of someone he loved, a family member, a cousin, John the Baptist. And so he was grieving over the loss. And no doubt he had spent time with his father. And he would always spend time with the Lord. We can read in John chapter 15, 16, and 7, just his dependence upon the Lord and the time he spent with him. And it says in verse 28 of Matthew 11, we see Jesus make this invitation. It says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, as we read Jesus' words here, sometimes we don't understand the full meaning because he was talking specifically in that culture, in that context to a lot of people that lived in the first century, Israel, an agrarian society. And so I want to read out of the, the message. It's more of a paraphrase. Same verses. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. I love this part. 
Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. How many of you, this sounds really nice? Like you desire, like not to be overwhelmed. You desire rest. Not just rest as you get from getting eight hours of sleep, but a genuine supernatural rest that's a gift of God. How many of you desire that for your soul, your mind, your body? Amen? And this is what the Lord wants. He wants you to experience and receive this supernatural gift. It's a promise of God. He said it twice in these three verses, I will give you rest. But he doesn't just give it for free. It's like many of the promises of God, it's conditional. And there's three parts to the condition. First, he says, come to me. You're not going to find this kind of supernatural rest anywhere else. We might try to find a break from our stress or try to numb the pain or a moment of pleasure, whether it be in sin or medication or a hobby. But I promise you, it will only be brief and it won't be long-lasting and it won't be helpful for your soul. So he says, come to me. The true source of supernatural rest is found in the supernatural presence of Jesus. Come to me, he says. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. And then learn from me. What does that mean, take my yoke upon you? It's a phrase that we don't hear often. But in the first century, uh, a yoke was a device used for animals. Like if an oxen was going to do work in the field, it could do a little bit of work. But if it's yoked, if this device that yoked two oxen together, together they can do way more than even the sum of each of them together. You might think of like a, a... a number of horses that are yoked together to carry a, a carriage, right? And so Jesus is saying, hey, take my yoke upon you. Because a yoke is meant to not only share the load, but you are forced into a union and you're meant to keep the same pace. And Jesus is saying that. He's saying, take my yoke. It's not a heavy yoke. And, and if we're yoked to Jesus, how many of you know in every way he's stronger than we are? Amen. And he's saying, when you're yoked to me, you're not going to have to work as hard. You can try to do it on your own. You can try to work in your own strength. You can try to think that you know it all. But that results in two things usually. One, pride, independence apart from the Lord. Number two, burnout. That's what's going to happen. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Just come to me and trust me and surrender and and try this new pace and this new rhythm. Discover my grace. Some of you need to discover or rediscover God's grace in your life. God's grace is a supernatural, unmerited favor. Like you can walk in flesh or you can walk in the spirit. You can be self-reliant or you can walk under the grace of God. And that's his supernatural strength, his supernatural wisdom, his supernatural peace that's meant to be ongoing. Not when you just show up at church on a Sunday morning. Not when you're just praying in the morning or reading the Bible. But for every moment of your life, he wants you to walk in the Spirit. Give fruit of the Spirit. That's his intent. That's his hope for you. And he desires that. And so some of you are here today and you need to hear this. And you need to experience God's supernatural rest and his, his grace. And he says, learn from me. Watch my life. And so as we observe Jesus and see his character and see how he reacted to 
to trials in his life and ministry opportunities, but also what he says. If we just, that's what discipleship is, is simply being more like Jesus and doing what he says. And he says, learn from me. We, desire, we need to, as a follower, we need to be learn. A, a disciple literally means to be a learner. And let's learn from Jesus, learn from God. And what he says about rest is non-negotiable. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? In Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's a day that is to be set apart. It's sacred. And it's your sacred responsibility to remember, observe, and obey the Sabbath. And if you don't, you are disobeying God. And it could be one of the big reasons why you are feeling stressed out and pressured because you're not observing the Sabbath. In fact, one survey that surveyed a lot of people who go to church, simple question, do you observe the Sabbath? And over half the people surveyed said no. Said no. Several years ago, I got to go on a trip to Israel. And one of the things I observed on Friday, it, that was their country's Sabbath day. It wasn't just for, for Jews or for Christians. It was cultural with the whole country. So from Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown, that 24 hours was the Sabbath. And they treated it very seriously. And in some cases, too seriously. They were very legalistic. Like some people didn't even take an elevator because to push the button was considered work. But in that country, I got to see, like, they would, they would prepare ahead of time. Like, they would not make meals on the Sabbath. They would do it ahead of time, pre-make the meals. And then the country, most of the country was shut down. Like, you couldn't catch a flight out. Restaurants, stores, businesses were shut down during the Sabbath, and they experienced rest. And I wonder if comparing that Eastern country with our Western country in the culture that we live in, that, that seems like it's always striving. There's always this desire to get more, to do more, accumulate more, make more, right? We're not content in what we have. And so as a result, we're always striving and working, and we become a weary nation and a weary people. And that has affected the family of God. And so we need to learn from God, learn from him. And so the word Sabbath literally means to stop, to cease, to rest. And rest is God's gift to our body, mind, and soul. Isn't that wonderful that God wants to give you, like through the Sabbath, through, to give you super, supernatural rest, that he wants to give you peace and experience that deep peace no matter what you're facing in life. The word peace comes from the Hebrew word irene that literally means a state of rest in the midst of strife and turmoil. So when Jesus was in a storm with his disciples and the waves were real big and the storm clouds were rolling in, what did Jesus say? Peace, and it all calmed down. Right? In Philippians 4, Paul writes to the church, don't be anxious, but in everything was prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God that you can't understand will guard your heart and mind, right? Peace is one of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. And so when you experience peace, it's a state of rest, no matter the trial, no matter where you're at. 
Some of us, we need to experience this state of rest, this genuine peace because we've become too weary, too busy, too stressed out, that we're missing a communion with the Lord and healthy relationships with others and the divine purpose that God has for each of us and as a church. So how can we get to this this rhythm of unforced this, this, this rhythm of rest. How can we get there? I want to give you three ways how to implement this lifestyle of rest, rhythm in your life. First, divert daily. Divert daily. In Luke 5, 16, it says, So he, this is Jesus, himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So many times his small group, his disciples would wake up around the fire and they'd be like, where's Jesus? Jesus was praying. They understood that that Jesus' time with the Lord was the secret to his power. And they, so much so that they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And because Jesus spent time with his father. Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And if Jesus needed to spend time with his father to get rest for his soul, how many of you guys know that we need to do that as well? And so it, we need to be proactive with it. Like in the first part of the day, we need to say, God, I want to spend time with you, abiding with you, opening up the word of God and, and just having gratitude and worshiping and praying and not rushing through it, but waiting upon the Lord and being happy and, and, and content in solitude and silence. Many of us have, have discovered the, the principle of giving the first to the Lord, the principle of the first, especially with the tithe, right? Many of you would never disobey this area, and you've seen the value of it. And it's when you bring the first to the Lord, the first fruit, the first tithe, you bring it to the Lord, and then he blesses the rest. What if you apply this to your time? Because all of us have given the same minutes of the day, the same, the same amount of days in a week. And so are you, are you managing those well? And so it starts with what if you gave the very first part of the day to the Lord? Just spending time saying, God, I need your supernatural wisdom. I don't know what today is going to, how it's going to unfold, but I need your wisdom. I need your grace. I want to wait upon you. And you just spend time not rushing through it and just allowing the Lord to fill you up with his presence, renewing your strength. Dallas Willard describes the discipline of slowing down for, for a loving union. He describes it as your doing for God is fed and sustained by your being with God in a rhythm that works for your present responsibilities. Your interior life, your character, everything flows from that. And so if you're spending time with the Lord, you are developing a personal, close fellowship and intimacy with Jesus. And out of that will flow a healthy marriage. Out of that will flow being a healthy parent and a friend to other people and an employee and a boss is spending time with the Lord. So the first thing we do is divert daily, being God-reliant and not self-reliant, learning to walk in the humility and grace of Jesus, right? That happens when we spend time with the Lord. And the second is when we withdraw weekly. Withdraw weekly. Once a week, we set a day to say, all right, I'm ceasing, I'm stopping. And many of you have discovered the benefit of, of the first day of the week. For many, Sunday, today is your Sabbath. And you've come to church and you're saying, God, I want to honor you 
with the first day of the week, and you've seen how he blesses the rest, right? You're in the presence of God, and it's good for your soul, and you're being around your brothers and sisters in Christ. So, but what if you really were, it was more than just coming to church? What if you thought of your Sabbath the night before? Like, plan the day, not over-planning it. You want to have room and margin and be spontaneous somewhat, but what if you just genuinely stop you, from all work, the Sunday or the Sabbath day, you're not doing honeydew lists, you're not catching up, you're not trying to do more work, right? But rather you're like, all right, God, I'm going to stop, I'm going to cease, I'm going to maybe sleep in a little bit more, right? I'm going to come to church, but then man, we're going to enjoy a good meal. I'm going to turn off my phone, right? Disable email, not get on social media, right? Just like unplug and then do things that you enjoy doing. And everybody's different. Some of you enjoy getting out in nature and taking a walk or a bike ride. Maybe it's taking an afternoon nap. Doesn't that sound good? That used to be normal, y'all. My, my practical challenge for everybody this today, all right? Take an afternoon nap. Bring back the Sunday afternoon nap. Amen. I'm glad that resonates with you. Do something that just delights your soul. Maybe spend time, an extra little bit more reading the Bible and abiding or maybe reading a book that helps you fall in love with the Lord or reading a good biography. Doing something that just helps bring delight. That's what God intends. This day is God's gift for you. Receive it. Enjoy it. Take the day off. Rest is essential to longevity. It's essential to your soul and your relationships being healthy. The final thing is to quit quarterly. This is taking more than just one day, but it's taking maybe a weekend or your vacation time, a little bit longer of a block for rest, reflection, and re recreation, doing things that you enjoy with the people that you love. And I get, I know some of you feel like, man, I, I just have to, I don't, you, I want to rebuke some people in the room. I love you guys, all right? But I want to rebuke every workaholic that doesn't maximize your vacation days that are allowed to you at work. Some of you have taken great pride in it. Well, I didn't take all my vacation days like a badge of honor. And you're cheating yourself, you're cheating your family, and you're cheating your employer because you're not as good as you could be as if you were rested. And when you rest, you're saying, God, you're in control. You're my provider, and so take your vacation days. And I know that you may not have a lot of income or margin, but you can, you can get out. You can do things. For 15 years, we didn't have a lot. We had our two weeks out of the year for vacation, and we, we couldn't afford to go to nice places, but we, we got the tent out, and we, we spent nights in every state park in Texas, and then we would take our two weeks to Colorado, and I married a city girl from Houston who doesn't like bugs. But I think she learned to discover a love for the outdoors because we remember the campfires. We remember setting up the tent with our kids and the time that we spent together. It was such, those are some of the best memories. And I'm, I'll never regret not taking those family vacations. And so take those vacations, take those time away where you're able to just let the dust settle and spend time with the Lord and the people that you love. On Thursday night, this past Thursday, 
I woke up from a dream, like three o'clock in the morning, and I dreamed that I was in the middle of a race, and it was a motocross race, like motorcycles, and I remember just like the chaos of being around this, and motorcycles were going down these hills, and, and, and I was in this race with someone from our church. I remember just one person from our church being in this race. And the finish line to this race, this was so bizarre, but the finish line to this race was in somebody's house. And this person was leading, from our church, won the race at the finish line in the house. But they were unaware that they won. And I was aware. And I was celebrating. I was more excited. And this is wild for me because I'm very, I can be kind of competitive. But I was genuinely more excited that someone else won the race than me. And I woke up and I was like, that was like such a crazy dream. Have you ever had a dream and you're like, that does not make sense. I was like, Lord, is this from you? Was this bad barbecue that I ate? You know, what's going on? I said, what does this mean? If it is from you, what does it mean? I began to think. And I felt like the Holy Spirit reminded me the vision of our church is to what? Finish the race. And then he reminded me of our theme this year, home sweet home. And I thought, wow. Wow. Lord, thank you for the reminder of my role as your under-shepherd to help this wonderful church family, my brothers and sisters, to see that we can win in life, but if we win in the wrong places, we're going to lose in the places that can mean the most. We are to win primarily in our relationship with the Lord. When we abide, the word abide literally means to dwell in home with. And so I want to encourage you to win with the Lord, to never lose your first love with Jesus. And second, win with your spouse and your marriage and your family. Life is this short. I've got one more kid with one more year to go before he's out of the nest. And I desire for all of you to not take the time that you have every day as a gift to win at home, even if you can't be as successful at work, to win at home. Will you stand to your feet? Father, we thank you that we can be in your presence. Just in your own words, would you just thank the Lord for Jesus? Would you thank him for the gift of the Sabbath that he gives you? But we're thankful for this day. It is your day. It is holy. And I pray that in this sacred moment that we could just wait upon you, that we wouldn't have to be in a rush, that we could just spend a little bit of time here worshiping and being in your presence. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Guide us into truth. Guide us if there's necessary changes that we need to make. Lord, convict us if we have a schedule that we're at the center of and, and it's at a pace that you you don't want for us. And I pray that if you convict us of this, that we would be honest enough to humble ourselves and repent and to get back at a pace that's more suitable. And so Lord, as we worship with you, may we learn from you and spend time with you in your name. Help us, Jesus. We love you.